Hello everyone, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to the Ministry of Propaganda. And this week we are going to be talking about strikes. Strikes in the UK, there are apparently lots of strikes going on and they have been for quite a while, but they are actually increasing. So nurses are on strike, ambulance workers are on strike, bus drivers are on strike, barristers are on strike, border forces are on strike, railway workers are on strike, teachers are on strike, the Royal Mail is on strike, junior doctors are on strike, civil servants are on strike, lecturers are on strike, and firefighters are on strike and i might even be missing out on some of those so yeah we're going to be talking about strikes and why they're striking and also looking at some great clips of someone called mick lynch uh, the general secretary of the rmt uh, the railway workers union and just uh, enjoying some of mick lynch's finest work um so chris where should we begin where do you want to start so this has been an absolutely unprecedented year the level of strikes that we have seen have probably been the highest that we've seen definitely in our lifetime uh, we get into that point now where people are starting to say the magic words, although they've been uh, quite obviously missing from the uh, dialogue until quite recently. And those words, of course, being general strike. Um, so obviously, mm. we're going to get into this quite quite slowly. Just mm. so, obviously, we saw a lot of the start beginning of last year, um, May June last year, and. Mm. Obviously, with everything, particularly these tracks we've seen all over Europe, we've seen them everywhere. Um, but in the, the UK, we've had uh, some different reasons for blame, which are unique to the UK. Um, obviously, we've had the situation in Ukraine, which is getting blamed on everything. I can't even buy mm. a seven-pound block of cheese anymore without being told that this is because of Putin's war in Ukraine, like our cheese comes from Kiev, which it does not. <laughs> um, but obviously, Brexit as well, which is... Had, had whether it has had a, an effect to cause the strikes or is the perfect excuse um that as boris johnson would call an oven ready excuse ready to go mm. um, so yeah so where, where what mm, do you want to, mm. yeah no, no, I, i'm glad you give some context i've also read the same things that um trying to understand it uh brexit uh the war um, COVID, of course. So I, I agree with some of that. I think that uh, some of it also a bit self-inflicted. Perhaps if we'd gotten a better Brexit, an or a better organized Brexit, a, a more yes. oven-ready one, perhaps, yeah. Um, but yeah, I try to give people a sense of the kind of uh, sort of man that Lick, uh, Mick Lynch is. So let's just show you uh, something of him at a rally a few days ago. Uh, and he's addressing a whole bench, big bunch of workers. Uh, and just to give you an idea of, yeah, the kind of way he speaks when he's up on the stage doing the, the big union man talk. So uh, here you go. This we demand and we are united. We will not be divided on the basis of who we work for. We will not be divided on the basis of our belief or the color of our skin or the part of the country we're from. We are the working class. We are back. We are here. We are demanding change. We refuse to be poor. And we are going to win for our people on our terms. There you go. So there he is, the big man, uh, Mick Lynch. So that's a rally, I think, for a bunch of other unions, not just the RMT. Um, he's quite an interesting character, though. He has, uh, I, I think the, the thing I like about him is that he, he is able to represent his uh, particular sort of workers. The, the RMT, the railway workers, the tube workers. Um, but yes. as you can see there, he does understand that this is a class question. I mean, I, I think obviously lots of people in the media 
would love if he said he was a Marxist or said he was a communist or said he was something like that. He's too clever. He knows that, um, you know, what, what will happen if you, if you agree or say, well, maybe I am or something like this. And, and we'll play some clips yeah. later where they try and catch him out and they really, uh, and really, really uh, fail <laughs> on falling their asses. Um, but yeah, Chris, what do you think about that? Yeah, obviously he's incredibly uh, charismatic figure, sort of larger than life. He's been sort of appointed the sort of unofficial leader of the the entire uh, series of strikes that have been going on since last year. Obviously, you said that he's leader of the RMT, which is by far one of the more militant unions there, <laughs> there are. Like they they do they do fight, and they're one of the few uh, organisations that seem to have always had a fighting fund which so many unions mm -hmm. that you go to union meetings and the notion of, of going on strike was never part of the question because they don't even have a fund to, to, to cover in that occasion. Um, mm. if, if you don't prepare to strike, then you prepare to fail, really, don't you? If you yeah. The whole yeah. idea yeah. of a union, as as meant to have been, was always the organised uh, use of workers using their labour for negotiating. Uh, and if you're not able to withdraw the one thing that we do have, which is our labour, then mm -hmm. what are you doing? Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. it does seem to be be the best of, unfortunately, what tends to be modern day labour movement, a bad bunch. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think I agree with you entirely that out of nowhere, maybe in the last year, uh, he has come out of, you know, and become the sort of more militant voice of, of, of what's left of the union yeah. movement in the UK. And if you sort of close your eyes and think back to sort of uh, the last 30 years or 35 years, you know, the last time we had someone talking like this was Arthur Scargill. Um, yeah, yeah so Bob Crow. Bob Crow was good, who I believe was... Yes, true, true. Was, I think Bob Crow was also the RMT. Yeah, he was RMT, I believe. I'm not sure, yeah. but... Uh, yeah, but Arthur Scargill, definitely, who was a Marxist yes. to some degree in mm. flavour. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so this is kind of nice to see that in the sort of drudgery of the last 35 years of, of unions slowly losing and, and slowly sort of kind of fading, actually, not entirely, but but uh, certainly comparatively to historically sort of compared to what they were before, um, you would kind of think that, oh, wow, okay, cool. At least we they have had these characters, um, you know, being prepared uh, and, 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 you know, going through their strikes, going through their um, uh, preparations and dealing with yeah. employers, learning how to speak, learning how to, um, coordinate and organize workers. And, and, you know, this is one of those products of, of the movement. So, again, I don't want to worship an individual uh, That's it. as much as I sound like it, um, but he's, you know, a product of lots of training and lots of experience of a, of a broader thing. There's also, I'm sure yeah. there's also other just as equally good um, I just sort of jump on you? your terminology there. He is mm. exactly a product of. It is to make a, a point of splitting the hair between this isn't a solution, this is a symptom of the problems that society is facing i.e capitalism but this is not mm. going to be the solution which is really important mm -hmm. in driving people's uh, expectations home when they're talking about the labor movement and the trade union movement uh because obviously if you if you sort of pin your hopes on this it's it's, it's sort of syndicalism isn't it um the idea of mm -hmm. uh the, the revolution will emerge from the trade union movement and that all you need to do mm -hmm. is go on strike enough and the means of production will just be inherited to the workers which ha mm -hmm. has never been true and has mm -hmm. never succeeded 
Yeah, definitely. I think, I think we've talked about workerism before in the past that you can have this thing called workerism and the sort of trade union yeah. sort of obsession where you think that that is, that's it. That's where the struggle will be. Um, just so we, people get, get an idea. So why are people striking? What kinds of experiences, um, um, what, what's going on with pay, with living conditions and whatnot? So I'm just going to play something from The Guardian showing some other workers on strike um, and just the kind of things that they're dealing with every day and, yeah, and sort of giving their rationales to why they're on strike. What, 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 what's the reason? What, what are they doing? Why are they doing this? Um, here we go. nursing strike in NHS history is underway. Clapham doesn't pay our bills. Claps aren't good enough for us anymore. Postal workers, border force staff, driving test examiners, national highways, traffic officers, RMT members of Network Rail, teachers in England and Wales are set to go on strike. Mind-warming society is more than just teaching children. It's about like helping communities. And I've stopped being able to do that. The government took aim at striking ambulances today, saying new laws were needed to protect lives. Our last option we've got is to strike. If they take that away from us, what have we got? I think the government needs to recognise that they're not going to break the strikes, no matter what tactics they put in. It is a month full of disruption. This is the Okay, so yeah, that's just to give you some context there, Nick. Nick, Chris, um, of uh, why people are on strike and who's on strike. Um, as I mentioned there about hours, of course, uh, particular, particular, but particularly pay, um, the clapping, um, as we all mentioned, as we all remember, sorry, in COVID, that, you know, we clap for the nurses. Let's clap for the nurses, the essential workers. Um, yeah, that doesn't pay the bills. Yeah. And I think I made the point at the time uh, when Parliament was started the, started the clapping thing with Bojo in, in Parliament, clapping for the nurses. The last time they clapped for nurses before that was when they all applauded each other sh for shooting down the nurses' pay rise. Um, it was exactly that. Applause don't pay the bills. Going out into the streets, clapping at 7 o'clock. As soon as this was over, the, the, well, we're not officially out of the pandemic. We are still, as far as the new concerned, we are still in it. We've just all forgotten about it. Um, mm -hmm. but that goodwill yeah. towards the NHS has certainly gone. Yes. And now that they're demanding a fair shake, yeah. the media yeah. have lost patience with them. And it is only the yeah. media, as we're going to learn. Uh, despite their best attempts, these strikes are overwhelmingly popular and have vast public support. Yes, actually, I will get up the um, the article you shared, which shows that. I should really show one more person Um I don't know if they have these in other parts of the world. I'm not particularly sure, but um, there's something called a food bank in the UK, quite common. It's not, not just one. They're all over the country. There's probably thousands of them. Um, I should show you something that is you wouldn't expect to be happening in the people that are working and have to go to food banks. It's coming in. Um, a lot more professionals coming in. Just because they just can't afford to, you know, to make that decision. Getting food. I'm frightened. I'm quite worried for people, really. So this is the community shop and takeaway. They come in, they get a basket of food, and they take a donation to the till. Any adults who is hungry eats for free in our community takeaway. It's hashtag beef bellies, not beef. You know, it's about saving food, saving, saving food. Yeah. The stigma of using this 
it isn't a thing in, in, in Shildon anymore. Everyone knows that you can come in here and you can get something relatively cheap. The only thing is you would never have seen it. Ten years ago, you know, it wouldn't have been here. It wouldn't have had the need to exist. And I can't donate to the food bank anymore, which is sad. My role in society is more than just teaching children. It's about like helping communities and the community that I live in. And I've stopped being able to do that. And that's, that's quite heartbreaking. <laughs> so yeah, there you go. That's um, the kind of things that working people, people that have jobs, bear in mind, these are not homeless people. These people have jobs, full-time jobs, and they have to go and uh, basically yeah, get food that has been donated by most likely other workers. Um, that's the kind of state for a lot of people. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it is, it's shocking to think of this as where we are, as, as a developed economy. This shouldn't, hmm. from what we've been told about how, how capitalism is meant to work in the West by the capitalists, this should hmm. not be the case in a developed 21st century Western nation. You'd expect to see the biggest levels of poverty elsewhere in the world, but definitely not in Western Europe or, the, or in the Western at large. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I guess that's also yeah what, why indeed the strikes and uh, the workers going on strike do have immense public support. So rising public support for unions despite widespread strikes, new Sky News polls are yeah. So this is from the 31st of January. And yeah, Chris shared this. It shows that actually people are supporting them, but it, it doesn't, you know, it's not surprising that people, other people that are not in the unions support yeah. the strikes if that's the kind of life that a lot of people are living, going to food banks. Of course, they support yeah. the strikes. They understand them. They understand that they, you know, workers want more pay. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's also despite the media's best effort, every single clip that you can watch of mm. the journalists going into the streets, particularly of Sky News and the BBC, trying to speak to people, they say it in such a negative way. How are these strikes affecting you negatively? <laughs> and they're almost trying to, to put the words into the, the person's mouth that these strikes are bad and they should stop so I can get to work. And yeah. when they swear, no, actually, I support the strikes. Yeah, They don't know what to do yeah. with that information because it's not the narrative that the media want and it's failing. They're so used to being able to write the news themselves. Yes. And because it's not working yeah. this time, it's frustrating them tremendously, and it's amazing to see. I love, I love watching it. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely. I mean, for Sky News to be sharing this of all the news out there, yeah. they this does not go well with editorial board. This is not the kind of stuff that they would like to be publishing and sharing. They obviously do have to report the news, but it's always their version of the news in a particular frame. And you know, when when the facts are the facts, and you do have strong support for various types of workers on strike, then they have to report at some point. Um, even begrudgingly. So, um, yeah, this is definitely not something that they want to talk about. Uh, and as we'll show you in a bit, they also, if they're forced to talk about it, they like to try and frame in a particular way and uh, they like to choose choose the argument, let's say that. Um, speaking of also, uh, yes, the cost of living crisis and uh, some of the absurdities of it, so just something a bit more lighthearted, um, one of the morning uh, shows uh, in the UK called This Morning um, a few weeks ago had a, a prize, you know, sort of a spinning wheel that you could win some prizes. So maybe some money, maybe uh, a holiday or something. But this time they decided they were going to, uh, yeah, have a, have, a, have a, an innovation and provide something new. Uh, so where is it going? Here we go. Take a look. So we've got, we've got, we'll pay your energy bills. 
thousand pounds as well. So this is energy bills, I think, for four months if it stops on that. Nice. Uh, so how are your how how are your energy bills? Are you a bit worried about it all? Um, major. Yeah. Are you? I've got I've got one of these prepayment meters and it's absolutely murder. Oh God. Right. Well, let's hope it lands on one of those then. Whatever right. you're going to win some money. Here so we don't go. Worry. Here yeah, we go. One way, one way or t'other. Here we go. Round and round it goes. Where it stops, nobody goes. Da, 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 da. Thousand pounds on energy bill. It is going to be. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> oh, <Ed's> <laughs> I was mean, say, you sorry, know, you got. Sorry, you lost. Let's <laughs> <laughs> turn the radiators off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've only got 500 pounds, so you're only going to heat the house for half of them. Two weeks of money. Yeah. Half temperature. <laughs> this is Hunger Games at this point, really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's it. That, that that is, you know, we're talking about a necessity heating yeah. in the winter in the UK. This is not something that you should really, you know, be, be, be sort of giving out as a oh, you you've just won something that you need. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Shelter and a house. Yay. Yeah. So um, yeah, that, that that's that's again just to give the context of why are people striking? Why are people supporting the strikes? Well, we have an energy crisis and a cost of living crisis and uh, inflation. Um, so, yeah, I think I was going to play a clip of Mick Lynch talking about inflation. Um, yes. Just give me a moment to get that up. Um, but, yeah, any other thoughts or contributions, yeah, so, Chris? Well, I think you can. Um, so, obviously, in, inflation and interest rates have hit uh, uh, tethering over, over 10%. Uh, now, personally, I'm not a homeowner. I, I rent. So, interest rates are something that hasn't really um, directly affected me. I, I don't borrow money. I don't have any any finance credit there, I can't find it, only would ever give me any. Um, but obviously, you've seen these reports or videos of people being offered homes, and then the bank have pulled the, the deal because the Bank of England have increased rates to something that's just unachievable. Um, so obviously, if you remember a decade or so ago where you had the housing crisis, it's easy to see that that's going to happen again. Um, I saw a article in the Financial Times written by the type of person who reads the Financial Times uh, moaning, saying uh, millennials are hoping and praying for another housing bubble uh, crash so they can afford a house. <laughs> I was like, well, of course we are, because that's the only time when we can buy something. <laughs> when the economy yeah. collapses, we have to buy as much as we can. So we... <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, that sounds pretty smart to me. Yeah, Millennials yeah. are waiting for prices to drop with the crash. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure someone from the Financial Times would also understand that. Appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the next ones I've got then is yeah, Mick Lynch talking about inflation. So he's here at a uh, select committee um, from a bunch of um, Tory MPs. Um, yep. So you know, they've invited him to come and speak so that they can try and understand um, how things work. And uh, it doesn't go well for them. Uh, they don't. Um, you know, they're not particularly. Uh, I wouldn't just say, I just think he, they should have maybe prepared a bit better or maybe just shouldn't have done this at all because it's Mick Lynch. Um, but we're a long way on pay. I mean, the inflation rate that we use for this year is currently in excess of 14%. That's the one that the railway use. The previous offer we had is four. The cumulative inflation for 22 and 23 will be in excess 
of 20%. We've been offered on the tox 8% uh, for those two years, so it's less than half. And we've been offered 9% by the uh, network rail, which is less than, less than half again. But let's not forget, we haven't had a pay rise in many of these companies for three and four years. So we are having our wages reduced, spending power at the supermarket and with the energy companies and everything else year on year on year. And every week that passes, it gets worse. So, yeah, there you go. I mean, that's what that means. If you don't get a pay rise that matches inflation, you are getting a pay cut. That's just a fact. Yeah. You know, that those are numbers. That's how it works. Um, yeah. And it's an excellent point. Yeah, in terms of real pay, you, you, your spending power is less. Um, obviously, we're seeing a lot of usually Tory economists um, warning, saying we need to warn against chasing inflation with uh, pay rises. That's their approach. Um, but as, as far as working people taking home pay, well, that's just not good enough. When we've been watching these politicians, ever since Bojo, I've pointed this out before, Boris Johnson uh, started this craze in, in Parliament, not just in his party, everyone wearing a Ukrainian pin. And every time the economy is questioned, one of the main things that they can go to is war in Ukraine. And this pin, in part, is there to remind people there constantly to try and drive this point home that what we're suffering here is for some apparent greater good in Eastern Europe. And obviously they're hoping that this is going to turn into votes in the next election, which I would put money on not working. I think that yeah. goodwill in terms of when people can't afford to heat their homes and can't afford to put foods in the bellies is not going to, yeah. as Mike Lynch would say, butter any parsnips. <laughs> people care about That's what's good. going on here right now, that these are the realities and, to try and link this, whether it's accurate or not, with a war that's going on on the other side of Europe is, is just ridiculous. Yeah. I yeah. said earlier on that we, we've seen protests throughout Europe. Some of the biggest protests in Europe over the past few months have been going on in France and Czech, Czech Republic. 20 years out, out of date with my Czech, Czechoslovakia there. And those protests yeah. in large, their demands have been for neutrality. For the same reason of rising costs like ours but their demand of neutrality because they have put this together that we're not paying for a war that we don't support and don't understand if this is what it means that we have to pay up to four times as much for energy than we did last year then count me out yeah yeah no excellent points i mean i do think that we've discussed this before, the leadership crisis within the UK, within the Conservative Party particularly, but they are losing control of the economy. Um, they have, as you've just seen, some of the biggest strikes, uh, yeah, in, in, in 10 years, more than 10 years, potential to go into a general strike. I mean, maybe we'll discuss that in a bit, but, um, you know, that's happening. You have the inflation, then you have the, the, the energy crisis, which is linked to the war, which they've kept going. Um, and, of course, we've already mentioned this trust and, and Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson and the whole sort of leadership collapse. But I do think that the Ukraine conflict, um, partly, as you've alluded to there, is just trying to be some sort of direction that they have some control over that they say, well, OK, let's go and fight Putin. Um, that way we can sort of try and etch out this global Britain that we're apparently trying to build after Brexit. 
Um, yeah. we'll, all we have left is some sort of NATO position and some sort of military um, position. So we'll try and just focus on that and build on that. Um, but yeah, even that you could say is a poor decision. I mean, where, where is it all leading to? What, the collapse of Russia? Nuclear war? I mean, where, where are we going with that? What, what's the end game? Um, yeah, so it's just a further symptom of, 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 uh, of, of the leadership crisis, I think. And in addition to that, um, yeah, I, I think that if we're talking about the 1980s, about strikes and stuff, uh, the, the only sort of reference you can then go to then is let's try to think that the conservatives will try and make this into their sort of Falkland war, which uh, can propel yes. them to two to victories in elections or whatever. Um, yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, maybe for a few months, maybe for a few, few, few months, I might get some support and some sympathy for, for refugees, of course. But um, yeah, like you said, buttering parsnips, um, if people go to food banks, and also if people are supporting the work, striking workers, um, I think you know economics is going to win in the end. Um, and people's, exactly. people's bellies and people's pockets will win in the end. Um, yeah. Uh, the next thing I want to play is also the same, same committee. Uh, the thing you can see here is just that Lynch is not just someone who's extremely sharp and funny who can take apart a journalist, like we'll see a bit later. And he's not someone who can also, you know, talk the big talk at the rally and, and get the troops going. Um, he's also someone who knows the details of the matters at, at hand. He knows the stats. He's very smart. So I'll just play this quick one here. The amount of funding to the railways has actually doubled since uh, 2015, 16, 2019, 20. So where do you get your figures from? I get it from the employers. They told me they've been asked to reduce their costs by 2 billion. I get it from the London mayor when I go and meet him and the commissioner for London Transport, says I've been told to reduce my uh, budget by 2 billion. That's what the savings are for. You've increased the funding. It doesn't go to our people. It goes to these private sector operators and to Network Rail. We don't get all the money. The pay bill in the in the railway industry is quite modest. The so staffing is at low level. The government are putting more money. Into government the is putting money into it. They'll probably all have to put money into it. I would ask why they put money into the railway and allow rolling stock companies and uh, train operating companies and network rail subcontractors to extract billions of pounds of profits in the 90s straight into people's pockets in through dividends. So you're and you'll do the same with health and all the rest of it eventually when you get the opportunity. So you'll fund them, but you'll shovel it into the private sector. That's what you've been doing. They take profits. They made profit every day during the pandemic, and they've made profit on every day of these strikes. They get protected against the loss of revenue, and they've not been affected the bottom line. Two of the companies are subject to uh, speculators' uh, takeovers, and one of them has been taken over during this dispute. There's loads of money in the railway. It's being made by private sector operators. So there you go. I mean, I feel like this guy, the person that asked that question, was just hoping that saying, oh, you recognize the government puts money into the railway, right? I don't know where he thought that was going to go. You know, Mick Lynch clearly fucking knows all of the details and how uh, the funding works. So yes. he just made himself look completely stupid there. Yeah, and this is the whole thing of, of prioritization and privatization by stealth. The same argument that we've seen being used with the NHS. The government, we put all this money into the NHS. It's like, yeah, but you've, you've sold it. So the money just goes straight through the NHS into private hands instead of going to where it needs to do. Since early 90s, which everyone always talks about how the Conservative Party have killed the NHS or killing it, privatizing it. It was Labour who started with the PFIs in the early 90s, whose privatization by stealth. 
At first, it was mm. just basically the top of the hospital that was privatization. It was 90% public, 10% private. Modern day, that's that's flipped. Mm -hmm. And it's happened mm -hmm. so slowly that people don't notice. It's almost to the point, as long as the reception is still in public hands, you can say that the hospital is nationalized. And it's just, mm -hmm. it's just not realistic at this point. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so later on in this video, I'm not going to play all of the clips, but there's another piece where he talks about how this strike actually from the, uh, from the perspective of the DFT, the Department of Transport, um, they knew that uh, there was going to be a dispute arising at some point. So at some Sunday evening a few months ago, before we went into Christmas and whatnot, um, they dropped some bombshell in terms of conditions and, and pay rates and whatnot for the, for the railway uh, industry. And they knew that, of course, then you know the RMT would have to respond, and they knew that then there would be these strikes over Christmas. Um, their calculation was that okay, this is how we can then you know once six months down the line, a year from the, uh, down the line, we can sort of wear down the public's willingness to accept um, these strikes because it starts with Christmas and people are buying their gifts and people are trying to see their families to have strikes over that period. So he does talk about how all of this is very tactical um, or strategic from the, the government's perspective. And as you already mentioned there as well, that, that, that it doesn't just apply to rail. They're going to be doing this and have been doing this with the NHS and with any other public service, that they slowly erode them and misfund them and operate them in a way that um, they can then say, oh, well, if we privatize this, it would be more efficient or better. Uh, meanwhile, they are just running them poorly and underfunding them to the point of collapse. Um, yeah. You know, people waiting in queues and people not getting the services that they, that they, that they you know, that the state has paid for. Um, yeah. Uh, I want to play a nice one where he actually makes fun of all, you know, he has a good burn on one of the uh, guys here on the committee. So here we go. We're seeing a lot of fewer rush hour use, more social use, more weekend use of the railways post-COVID. Add in uncertainty on the part of consumers as to whether the train will even be running because of industrial action. How much damage has been done to the railway, uh, particularly from consumer choice, which then plays to Mr. Ward's point about losses to the operating companies uh, uh, as a result, not, not just from industrial action, but from changed habits. How much damage has actually been done to the railway? Well, the damage has been done, but as I say, the, the damage is conceived and controlled in the Department of Transport. This is their project. They knew that there would be an industrial response <laughs> from the trade unions. They decided to make what they would think is a great leap forward uh, and provoke the workforce and attack the workforce. So the damage has been envisaged in Whitehall by people who know very little about the railway. Rather than trying to get consent and uh, evolution of the railway, they went for this great leap forward and it's blown up in their faces. So the damage is being conceived by this administration and they are inflicting the damage. They have also brought forward a set of legislation that they quickly abandoned on the future structure of the railway. Maybe they'll come back to that, I don't know. Maybe there'll be a new transport minister that'll have another idea. So the damage is being caused by the inconsistent and reckless policy of the people that are in control of the railway, which is the country. And he talks about polling, which is the, the good one here. So here we go. Well, they did a poll shortly after that. Why? There was 75% support for the RMT. 
So it depends which poll you read of who's who's winning this. What you, what was expected in the DFT is that would have zero support on the tack mode. They did a poll shortly after that and said there was seventy five percent support for the RMT. So it depends which poll you read of who's who's winning this. What you, what was expected in the DFT is that would have zero support and we'd be back to work uh, with no strikes by the end of June. Once you, your friends in the Daily Mail and the Telegraph and all these other journals followed me from my house to the station, uh, invaded my children's Facebook pages and all the rest of it, that we would be public enemies number one. We're not. I'm a more popular person than many of the, the politicians in this room, unfortunately. A bit of a burn, but yeah, we'll come back. We'll get some more of these later. But yeah, um, yeah, as you can see, the guy knows and has been arguing, of course, the case of his workers and his industry for months. So it's a bit yes. silly that you think that these select committee MPs who have probably had tried to sort of do a crash course on this over the course of maybe a few weeks, at best a few months, whereas he's been in that industry for decades. Um, I just feel sorry for them, actually, because they are wholly un unprepared to try and engage and try and challenge this guy on his industry publicly. Um, yeah, yeah, he clearly knows his stuff. And and it's sincere. These people there are basically... Uh, have you ever heard of the uh, the Pink Pinkerton's agency of like sort of strike blockers back in back in the day? I think Red, the bad guys in like Red Dead Redemption. Uh, this is basically what these are. These are just paid agents whose job it is to, to stand... And be obstacles for industrial action. They're, they're strike busters, effectively, and they they have as much prep time as anything else. They're like they probably spend as much time prepping prepping for one of theirs. Probably mm. spend less time than we do to prep for one of our videos. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, said it very well. Uh, the other stuff is also he he get he they, they he um, drops so many. Uh, or make so many comments that usually you'd never hear in the media. So sort of just saying your friends in the Daily Mail and your friends in the Telegraph would have done this, yeah. this, and this. And the government has been trying to craft this for years. Blah, blah, blah. So it's almost a bit of a, they can't address everything that he's saying. He's just dropping so many uh, attacks and so many um, yeah. truths as well that to, to, to counter everything is actually not possible. That There's not enough bandwidth. There's not enough, people have enough time to listen to all your explanations and he's just, uh, letting these things be said that um, usually are not said at all. The relationship yeah. between the Conservative Party, the government, uh, the media, and big industry. And yes, how early he talks about how you know they're giving their mates these contracts to um, privatize and, and get the, the funds from the state to run the railway companies and whatnot. Um, yeah, just really, really, really good stuff. Very, um, so, yeah. Because it's completely honest, and that's what's so important to sort of drive home, that they are mates. When the hmm. Tories, I can't remember who even... What, what prime minister it was at the time when the royal mail was sold off hmm. the guy who bought it went to school with them but these they knew each other beforehand these are mates it is literally doing your mate a favor yeah. sell of that public yeah. asset cheap mate yeah let us make yeah. some money off it because they know that public money goes in and i'll sort you out when you when you're not in office anymore that's it that's it. That's definitely it. I've, I've got one more reflective piece from uh, from from Lynch at this committee. So we should play this one quickly. It talks about um, you know the hypocrisy of the government, but also uh, the rules that they're talking about in terms of what they would like to do if these strikes, uh, if the, the striking workers don't get what they want. So I'll let uh, Mick explain it better than I can. Day one. That's 
they will put non-qualified people into signal boxes to break strikes and they'll have safety incidents which they have every time they have a strike when managers break the rule and break their competency basis but it's the unions that are endangering safety it's the attempt to break strikes that imports more danger than anything else and it's an infringement of civil liberties the right to strike is, is something that any democratic society will have if they want to run the signaling system on network rail during a dispute uh, in the way that they will, they'll have to get all the signalers to work and they will command them and conscript them to work. If they were doing that in Putin's Russia or in Iran or China, they would rightly be condemned. Con conscripting workers to go to work against their will is an outrage. And that's what this legislation will bring forward, that either we will name them or the companies will name them or even the Secretary of State may name individuals that have to go to work on strike days. How that is democratic and free in, a, in a, a free society, I don't understand. And we'll have to challenge it in every way that we can. And it'll have to be repealed as soon as there's a change in government. So, yeah, a uh, very interesting point. Um, I don't know if you know much about this proposed legislation, but it, I have heard other people say that this is um, what could come of all of these protests and strikes is that the government will try and say, well, oh, well, we tried to negotiate, we tried this, uh, we have to, uh, people are dying, uh, people can't get to work, we, we have to mandate um, a section of emergency workers that must be in the new legislation to, to block, to break strikes. And effectively then also, I mean, if, earlier he talked about um, how while COVID was on, the uh, bosses of the privately uh, owned uh, sort of fleet managers, whatever, of the railway companies were got given guaranteed money. Um, but, you know, people going on strike, you know, their rights uh, and their sort of entitlements as, as being allowed to go on strike, um, you are being eroded and eroded and eroded. And, and then also work itself is being eroded, as we mentioned earlier, with, with the, the inflation rate and the lack of pay rise and whatnot. So, yeah, um, I don't know if you have any comments on that one there, Chris. Yeah, the... so um, this anti-strike bill that's coming up, obviously it's passed the first hurdle at the Commons. Um, it's caused massive protests against it in its own right. And it is incredibly worrying. And for me, this is where a lot of the charisma of some of these trade union leaders sort of collapses. I watched one being interviewed by the BBC the other day where he literally said the lines that if we are forced to cooperate with it, we will, but just be one that's going to make strikes valuable longer and more efficient, inefficient in the, in the future. So that, the fact that you just said, oh, well, if the makers ab abide it, we'll have to. This, for me, is absolute rubbish. This is the mm -hmm. epitome mm -hmm. of just conceding to the Labour aristocracy, these fake leaders. Mm. realistically is only through a campaign of complete mass cooperation which will make these anti-union laws unworkable that is the mm. only way to get the, these laws to be rescinded once they're seen that they can't work and that that they won't be followed in any way every trade union needs to vote to completely ignore these laws if they do come into place and that is the only way that they'll be rescinded yeah yeah Absolutely, absolutely. And also, yes, if you don't put a price tag that they're not willing to pay on it, they will just uh, erode it slowly. They will they will make you comply. Yes, yeah, it does exactly. require um, fighting, not just uh, begging. Um, yes, so uh, you had some things, to, you shared some things with me earlier, Chris. You've, got, you've talked about the um, support for strikes, which we've already mentioned. Um, 
I don't know if you want to talk about, well, we've already talked about the scale of the, the strike. I don't know if you want to mention anything else on that one. I do, yeah. So uh, just here. Yeah, so yesterday, obviously, we had the uh, largest ever NHS demonstration was yesterday. Um, so obviously, with, as I sort of alluded to earlier on, everything that's been going on. Now, at the moment, we're estimating roughly about half a million people have been on strike at, at this point. Um, now, that is... By standards, about a third of what was at the 1926 general strike. Um, since last May to now, a lot of the trade union leaders have been quite mum about using the word general strike. They haven't wanted to say it. Now it's started to be a bit more liberally used, um, which has posed to the question to a lot of people, is that where we're headed? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so what, what, do you th what do you think about the prospects I, of having a general strike in this country at this point i think it's, it certainly has more potential than it has in, in a long time um i think that we would have to see this kind of industrial scare action sort of carry on for a few more months before you would see some of the unions uh harden or some of or the government harden actually in some cases um so if, if the government doesn't give concessions uh, to the nurses and to the RMT and to, let's say, one of the two of the other groups that are not uh, on strike, um, and then they can, can generally see, that, you know, across the unions that they need to increase the, the damage, basically, the cost um, to the government to also just, you know, general, of course, the, the, you know, the reduction of services. Um, I think that will need to, that realization would only happen after failed negotiations for a few more months so so obviously the the rmt has been going for a few months now but the others are some of them only coming into sort of strikes i mean the nurses have just started i think we'd still need a few more months uh, of negotiations and failed negotiations yeah uh, and then also perhaps even just some uh just you know if, if the government goes too far with trying to stop these or repressing them even um that's what have to be pushed i, I don't think they were quite there yet uh, for example even on the nurses today um the nurses in wales uh, didn't join the strike. So there was two days uh, yesterday and today where strikes for the nurses across all of um, the UK. But the the Welsh ones stopped because they were given an emergency um, offer um, from uh, NHS Wales, which which dropped them out. So um, you could still see stuff like that where you you, you have all, uh, sections of even the same union um, dropping out because they've been offered a separate package. So I know Scotland also are more sympathetic to the railway workers as well as places like Merseyside and whatever. But um, yeah, I still think we're not quite there yet. It's it's certainly, it's going that way if, if things yeah. continued. It's definitely the right direction, um, but we need to continue. You know, the, the oven needs to be on for a bit longer before we get there. Um, yeah. yeah, so I've got that clip up here, so we can just pull this up. Yeah. Yeah. Teachers, university lecturers, train drivers and civil servants united in determination today at a rally in Leeds. On picket lines dotted around the town, there was talk that this was a general strike in all but name. As a historian of uh, labour history, welcome back to 1926. Uh, I mean, is that, uh, do you think the public's really going to be on side for that if this keeps going much longer? I mean, the thing is, the pub we are the public, we are the workers, we are on strike. So the public is on side, clearly, because we're all striking for better conditions. We've realised what we're worth, and it's important that we keep doing it. 
And I, th I think just that's a really good line that she said. Just we are the public, and we are mm. on strike. Everyone that I've mm. spoken to who's not on strike wishes they were. You get so much uh, people saying that. Like, I wish uh, my industry was unionized so I so I could join them. Um, unfortunately, uh, I personally work in sort of telecommunications. This is a, yeah. a, an area that trade unions have tried to break into for so long and it's been so hard mm -hmm. to. It's almost a, a self-policing industry because for the majority of people, especially call center workers, that they work with a microphone in their face all day. Mm. They have staggered breaks, so, so the phones are always manned. They don't even have that sort of canteen time that warehouse workers would yeah. all together. So yes. it's so hard to sort of get that relationship to build that conversation up with someone to to suggest should we be unionizing together because it's not really something you want to be sending over a work email yes yes yeah but i think you're right though in terms of uh the profile of unions so because of how many strikes there are and it's nurses and it's the train drivers and, and it's everyone uh almost everyone um people are now talking about unions They're like oh yeah yeah my I, I, my uh girlfriend's uh, sister their sort of workplace they've also now been talking about well, our boss has just cut our hours, and now they're going like, "Well, we should. Someone should do something about this. We should. We should do something together, and and, and all this kind of stuff." Um, so, yeah, I think the the conversation about workplace and unionization of workplace is now something that's far more in the sort of common earshot of of normal people, uh, more so yeah. than it was five years ago, let's say. Um, yeah, exactly. And it's this is why it's so sort of important now, as a, as a more than it ever has been, that. Mm -hmm the need for the sort of ideological lead to this move. Um, as, as sort of we've said before, and as, as Lenin pointed out, in working class on its own, independently and spontaneously, we'll only ever come up with trade unions. Yeah. And that's sort of the, the, the peak of, of where it will sort of tether off and, and eventually lose momentum. And uh, I've, got a, I've got another little article here uh, from, from the communists. And the TUC... Mm -hmm. Trade Union Council directs its, its members' anger into more meaningless busy work. Uh, they're directing their members into a email campaign against their <laughs> local MPs and government to beg against the anti-union bill. And it's something mm. like that. Like <laughs> really, that this this is the, the sort of lowest form of action. <laughs> this yes. Is, it's not the American sort of thing. Like, if you, if you stand up with, bring your congressman. <laughs> yes, basically. <laughs> that <laughs> yes, that's that's the that's the you know that's as far as I got. Yeah, phone your congressman. Email your right to your MP. Okay, yeah, I mean yeah. That, that's actually and a very good is, point. And, hmm, it's go this idea that they just don't have a solution. They know they're mad. They're right to be mad. They know something needs to be done, but they don't know what. So it's just. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, yes, then, yes. So eventually, yeah, they have to go back yeah. to work. Well, that, that's it. I, I should because you talked about the um, because you talked about uh, you know write write your MP a, a letter or send an email. Um, so who are you going to send an email to? I guess the Labour Party. So now uh, Mick Lynch actually, there's a nice piece I'm going to play. Some of the more sort of uh, comedic kind of funny stuff of him actually taking down people on, on, on an interview. So let's play that. There's actually a piece anywhere he mentions uh, specifically the Labour Party. Who are doing full-time jobs, who are having to take state benefits and use food banks. 
That is a national disgrace. What will they do if agency workers try to cross those picket lines? Well, we will picket them. What do you think we'll do? We run a picket line and we'll ask them not to go to work. Direct line. If you are a Marxist, then you're into revolution and into bringing down capitalism. So are you all on to? <laughs> Richard, you do come up with the most remarkable twaddle sometimes. That's you don't tell me who I am and whether or not I'm working class or whatever, any of those sorts of things. You weren't working class. I don't even know your name. Line. You can see what picketing involves. I can't believe this line of questioning. Picketing is standing outside the workplace to try and encourage people who want to go to work not to go to work. What else do you think it involves? You've also lied that we left negotiations on Saturday and went to a rally. There were no negotiations scheduled for Saturday. You are a liar. The pensions of our members are going to be decimated. They're going to make us poorer not only while we're at work, but poorer in retirement. And that's an agenda that the government has got because they want to subsidise the private sector in this country as they are doing in the health service, which is being consumed by the private sector, as they've done in the education service, which is being consumed by the private sector. He should be apologising to the doctors and nurses who can't get to hospital, the patients who can't get their operation, the kids who miss out on their education today, but also those armed forces veterans who risk their lives for our freedoms who won't be able to celebrate Armed Forces Day on Saturday. Do you want to apologise for all that, Mick? Well, I think Jonathan should apologise for talking nonsense. None of that is true. <laughs> and you're a liar. What the rest of the country suffers from is the lack of power, the lack of the ability to organise, and the lack of the wherewithal to take on these employers that are continually driving down wages and making the working class in this country poorer year on year on year, while the rich get richer, now, I welcome anyone that wants to join us on our picket lines and show us messages of support. All right. Well, if more... Keir Starmer can't do that, that's a, a, a problem for him, not for us. I don't want people to be uh, inconvenienced, and I want a settlement to this dispute. I can't do that with a backbench MP who's just learned it off a script. And one of the reasons we're not affiliated is because Labour politicians, since Blair, have not identified with working class people. And failing to do that is one of the problems they've got in working class communities. They've left the door open to populists and others to come into the situation. The Labour Party is about supporting working people, or it should be, not triangular triangular in, uh, from uh, opinion makers such as the Daily Mail and the Telegraph and the Times. So they've got to sort out their identity and they've got to come up with a set of policies. There, are... so there you go, that's him um, talking about the Labour Party. And he also, in another clip, he talks about the fact that the RMT helped found uh, the Labour Party uh, back in the 19... 30s or whatever it was so yeah um some good pieces there any comments on them chris yeah so obviously it's been i've enjoyed watching him obviously take down tory mps um to account because they're the ones who have held power for the past 12 years and um, but also mm -hmm. he equally goes after the labor party and i think that's put a lot of um normal sort of wishy-washy labor socialists into a difficult position because it's force them to sort of come to terms with the fact that their parent party that calls itself the political wing of the British Labour movement has not been supporting organised labour in this country. Um, yeah. There was an article from, this was from last July, so when the, the strikes really started to take a uh, full swing, um, labour front bench is likely to be disciplined for joining rail picket. Because Keir Starmer at the time, he couldn't bring himself to say that he supports the strikes. And, mm -hmm. and this is the situation we're in now. This is why he's going to win, because he's made himself 
this Tony Blair type of character. Remember, Tony Blair won and won the support of uh, the Rupert Murdoch newspapers by showing that he was a safe pair of hands, that he wasn't really Labour and that he wasn't going to do anything. And that's what mm-hmm. Kirst Tarmer's replicating, which is why he's mm-hmm. going to win. That's why the establishment are letting him win. Because it's, I'm not, it's winking at the camera. I'm not really a socialist. It is what yeah. Engels would call yeah. the Labour aristocracy, con- the controlled Labour leadership. They're placed mm-hmm. there to stop us doing anything. And Mike yeah. Lynch is very good at sort of exposing that and showing that these people who are meant to be our political leaders aren't. And I'd, I'd hazard a guess that if Mike Lynch was to join the Labour Party, I don't actually know if he is already. Um, yeah. But if he was to run as leader of the Labour Party, I, I guess he'd win very quickly and very easily. I think he's he's probably more popular than either leader at the moment. I I think that there's there's something to be said there that definitely he should he should be having perhaps more ambitions than just uh, sticking with the RMT. As though I'm sure that he's you know very good at representing the RMT, so it'd be quite a jump for him, at least in some respects, in the sense of trying to get into the Labour uh, machinery, which we've already talked about in the past, is a pretty messy machine and pretty brutal and vicious um, in trying to protect a certain line of thinking. But yeah. I do think that there's something to be said there. I think that the fact that you have so much popularity with with the, the unions, as we already discussed, you have a, a cost of living crisis. So I think someone like him standing for those kinds of things, for uh, you know, common common people sort of pay and common sort of issues, um, yeah, I, I could see that kind of talk is going to be very popular. It is very popular. Um, yeah, but I, I don't know. I don't know if, if, if the... <laughs> if, the Labour Party, I mean, I'm curious to see how this goes. I just don't think that, I just can't see them allowing it. If Keir Starmer is going to clean out Corbyn and, and this... Oh, no, they will never allow it. This is the party that kicked out Ken Loach. <laughs> yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. You can't be left-wing in the Labour Party anymore. It is literally under Keir Starmer. Uh, there was, there was uh, a really good book that was released a couple of years ago um, called the Labour... And it was uh, called A Party with Socialists in it. And the whole point premise of the book was how the Labour Party has, has spent the past uh, 70 years basically absorbing every left-wing movement for the exact notion yeah. of effective holding the Yeah. And Kirstam has almost changed that by kicking them all out again. <laughs> well, that's unfortunately, because this country does not have a mass alternative to the Labour Party, we've now got... Mm-hmm a disenfranchised socialist movement who aren't welcome in the Labour Party anymore because it's now the party of the centrists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I don't know where it's all going to go. I mean, maybe this will this will be the, the impetus for, uh, you know, people joining some other party, the socialists and the trade union joining some other party. But that, I think that would be quite a big uh, political moment. I mean, that would be a political bombshell if the TUC and, and other unions drop the Labour Party as their sort of, um, you know, affiliation, even though the RMT isn't affiliated, uh, as you already mentioned. So if you had more of the other parties dropping that affiliation, moving some, moving to something else, that would be a, that would be a, a, you know, a big shift in British politics, huge shift in British politics. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that, okay. that would be the, the, uh, the straw that sort of breaks comes back when the unions turn, that finally do break the link with the Labour Party, which is something yeah. that should always be, on every placard, at every picket, as far as I'm concerned. Um, that should be the, the main goal of 
sort of propagating within the trade union movement that the Labour Party Mm. isn't there to represent your interests. It is Mm. there to hold Mm. them hostage. And until they have broke the link with the Labour Party, this is just going to be a carousel that goes goes around and round. Yeah, yeah. I think that's also another thing to be said about this is is that the Labour Party leadership right now, particularly the parliamentary party and stuff, they do not like this. This is politics being driven from the bottom, as they would see it. Um, the grassroots. This is, you know, society from the bottom choosing an issue and, and driving driving it from there. Um, yeah. Pay particularly and, and and work conditions. They don't want. Yeah. This is not the conversation that they want to have. I mean, we talked already about how uh, the conservatives don't have an actual good plan for Britain and have not been doing a good job. The only thing that they can try and work out is this war. Apparently, this is their grand plan. But I think equally, um, maybe even worse, actually, the Labour Party has less of an idea, less of a vision. And also, apparently, has less connection with the majority. Okay, I would say have less connection than the Tories, but they certainly don't have um, the connection that should be there. Labour is not, um, you know, hand in hand with the unions on this one. No, not at all. And like I say, that is what you just said. With the fact that this is being led by an organised labour labour movement. The workers are essentially just being a, it's a, like a cannonball on the deck for the Labour Party here. They're trying to mismanage, mm. they're trying to manage it, mismanaging it at every turn. The fact that it took mm. Kirstar so long to say anything even remotely that could be judged as supportive of the strikes, mm. which I think mm. in the end was just I vague I understand why they are striking. That is not an endorsement, <laughs> and that is not support. <laughs> Yeah, but, yeah. But as we know, yeah. Keir Starmer is busy sitting there with his calculator trying to see exactly how to say what he can yeah. to absorb the support of the Labour movement without necessarily trying to actually support it. Um, so obviously there's a, a room full of very clever Labour brains sitting there and figuring out how to actually support this uh, these strikes without actually supporting them. Um, you know, to, to take the, the honey from the, the, the nest without uh, actually having to shake the bees or join the bees. Um, I'm sure another Tony Blair funded think tank will tell him what to say pretty soon. Yeah, that's it. What was the last um, so one? The, the Tony Blair Institute for Regime Change. I'm sure this one will be the. the was, yes, that was right. it. <laughs> no, I believe it was the Tony Blair Middle Eastern Institute for Peace. I think that's. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why it stuck in my head as regime change. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, the last clip we've got is of. Mick Lynch and I believe is your Facebook Piers Morgan. page. I want you to confirm or deny if this is your Facebook page. It's a picture yeah, of can you a see picture the of the hood from Thunderbirds. Can you see the likeness? Well, I'm just wondering where the comparison goes because he was obviously <laughs> an evil criminal terrorist mastermind uh, described as the world's most dangerous man who wreaked utter, that the le- is utter that the level carnage you're pitching this at? on the public. Is that the level you're pitching this at, Piers? That is a joke amongst me and my friends, and you can see the likeness, if you like. So He's you're not denying that you are eyebrows. comparing yourself to the hood? I'm not comparing myself to anyone. I'm me. You've literally made your profile picture the hood. And I'm simply well, saying, I was so a massive. What? If it was a bunch I was of a Thunderbirds fan, and if, the Hood was, was the most dangerous, flowers, evil person in the world. He's the most evil puppet made out of vinyl in the world. Is that the level your journalism's at these days? I simply asked you if that was you and your Facebook page. Well, do you do? 
Do you think I look like the most evil person in the world, Piers? Well, now you're asking me to, to answer a difficult question, Mick. I don't know you that well. All well, I'm I saying is you the have personally... I think I'm a working-class bloke who's leading a trade union in a dispute over jobs, if you, pay and conditions. I understand. If you don't want to be compared to the hood, probably better not to have the hood as your well, profile I picture. I think it's quite funny. So do I. But I well, also like... Go. As I was a Thunderbirds fan... we're at, though? Don't you want to talk about the issues rather than a little vinyl simply, puppet from the I'm 1960s I'm simply trying to get inside the mindset of the man about to wreak havoc on the country. It makes <sighs> me laugh, honestly, that you have the hood as your profile pic because that's a man who wreaked havoc on the world. Well, it makes me laugh that your level of journalism has descended so far that you can't think of any other question rather than a, a I thing didn't about put, the Thunderbirds. I didn't put that picture on your profile page. Yeah, but you've chosen to spend two or three minutes of this interview talking about an irrelevant. Because you seem so but irritated by the comparison. Well, because you seem so irritated by the comparison to the I'm hood. not irritated at all. I'm completely. You seem very calm irritated. About it. Well, I'm not. You're not. This is your <laughs> non-irritated phase, is it? <laughs> What point are you trying to prove, Piers? I mean, I'm not trying to, trying to wind me I'm not trying up, to prove anything. Is you put it on your Facebook page. I'm simply asking. Right. It's an odd choice for a union boss okay. who's about but to go on to ask a, a series of strikes to have Piers, that have as your choice. To say about... It reminds so me of... <laughs> have you seen Bruce Almighty when he's interviewing the old lady? Why did you throw the heart of the Titanic? Like, did it make you sad leaving Jack, Jack Leonardo DiCaprio to freeze in the water when he could have gone on the door with you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> I can't remember that one, but yeah. it is ridiculous. Like, yeah. Ah, it just shows that. Do you think you are similar to this? Uh, do you see yourself as a mass, a mastermind terrorist leader? <laughs> no, just that. So, oh, I'm well, if you want to be, don't want to be compared against someone who's wreaking havoc against the country. So, because that's obviously that's Piers Morgan's starting point, and that's yes. that's what he's. That's what his job is. He's there to play that narrative, and it doesn't. Yeah. You can't give Michael Lynch credit for even doing this because obviously the audience is still doing it because as the polls are showing support for the strikes, and mm. so the narrative isn't working. Mm. But mm. A, a lesser man would definitely just think, "Well, what's the entertaining the likes of Piers Morgan and Richard Madeley?" Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I think there have been some other notable appearances by, uh, I think, Dempsey and other people in the Labour movement. But I do think that uh, Mickelinch has done a, a great job at uh, at showing them, uh, you know, actually making them look ridiculous. And uh, I, the other thing is he doesn't actually ever get too angry, he never gets angry, never breaks his cool, which I think they've wanted him to do and wanted him to come across as some sort of shouting madman from the, yes. you know, some communist Marxist uh, man who's just going to try and, uh, cause revolution, um, which I don't think he is. <laughs> um, no. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, so that that is that that is it for this week. Um, we will not we haven't decided on our topic for next week, so you will have to see and be surprised by that. But thank you very much if you have been watching. So you can like, share, uh, hit the notifications bell, and subscribe. Please subscribe uh, to the Ministry of Propaganda, and we will see you next week. Thank you very much. See you next week. <laughs>